Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come and worship you as a great God that you are. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is not silent, that you're a God who speaks, and you're a God who has actually come into this world and dwelt amongst us. Lord, we pray that you may dwell amongst us this morning. May your Holy Spirit be living deeply inside us and working in us as we ponder your word together. Lord, we pray that you may particularly help me as I speak. Lord, we pray that you may keep me from error. And we pray that I would be able to exalt Jesus Christ as he deserves to be exalted this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that his name may be honoured and you may be glorified. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for 2015, we've decided that it's time now for Joshua to have pocket money. Our son has hit five years of age and uh, later this year he will be six and so we thought it's time for him to have pocket money. And so Jill and I worked out an amount that we thought was suitable for him and then we of course thought, well he can't just get it for free. Uh, Money doesn't come in those terms uh, pretty much for anyone in our society. He has to earn it. So we sat down and we thought about what qualifications he has for different tasks around the place. We looked at whether he was uh, strong, uh, whether he has the ability to do different things, to not drop anything, uh, is something that we value quite highly given the task that we gave to him. And eventually we worked out what would be the things that he would be able to do around the house. And so at the moment his duties are helping set the table each night Uh, which is why we don't like him dropping anything. Uh, A dropped knife or fork on the floor is not something that we would like. And also emptying the bin. So we will empty the bin and he'll have to take it out to the otter in the backyard. And Joshua really seems to like having this role and he, of course, likes Fridays when it is his payday and he gets his money. And we were careful in the way that we went about giving him these roles. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at qualifications for a job. Qualifications particularly for Jesus as high priest. We've been slowly working through Hebrews chapter 7 and we've come to a part of Hebrews chapter 7 to the end there where I think it speaks very specifically about the qualifications that Jesus has for the high priest role. See, Jesus has come along at a point in history and said, I am actually now your high priest. And it's not as though the high priest role when Jesus came along was vacant. It's quite bold on Jesus' part to come while someone's in a particular office and say, now I am holding that office. Whereas Joshua, he walked into a role that was kind of being fulfilled by me, but I was quite happy to hand it on to somebody else. Whereas with the high priest role, you've got somebody in office doing the job of high priest and yet then Jesus comes along and says, I'm actually the high priest from now on. And so we have to then examine why could Jesus be so bold in saying I am the high priest? What are his qualifications for such a role that he can usurp the throne, so to speak, of the current Levitical high priest? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What are the qualifications that Jesus has for that high priest role? And so my first main point is about the first qualification that we see in these verses, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, is that Jesus is personally qualified for the high priest role. Jesus is personally qualified for the high priest role. 
And we see that in verse 26. If you've got a Black Church Bible, I encourage you to have it open to page 1188. And we're looking at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 to 28. And we see in verse 26, firstly, that Jesus is personally qualified for the high priest role. And we see that where it says, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. When someone is considered for a job, you're not just interested in their ability to do the job, you're also looking at their personal character. You're quite interested in what makes that person tick. And these days, with the advent of social media like Facebook, there's rumours of employers snooping on prospective candidates and looking at their personal lives before they choose to hire such people. We recognise that how someone lives outside the workplace often is a good indicator of how well they'll work within the workplace as well. And so when you look at someone, you look at their personal attributes and what they're like as a person. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I want to be high priest, I'm going to be the high priest from now on, we have to then look at who is Jesus? What are his personal attributes? And that's what Hebrews 7.26 tells us. It tells us that Jesus is holy. Another way of translating that word is pious. Jesus is also blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? It means to be not bad. The word is bad, but then the opposite. It means that you're innocent. You're blameless. You can't be blamed for something. We also see that Jesus is pure. In verse 26, he's undefiled. If you're pure, you don't have anything else contaminating you. At the moment, I'm trying to catch rainwater at our house to water the garden. And it's interesting, I've never done this before, and I compare it to the water that comes out of the tap. The rainwater that I then get in the watering can after I've caught it is so dirty looking. It's not black or anything, but it's, it's really brown in comparison to the water that comes out of the tap. Thankfully, I'm not drinking it. That's the grass's job. But... We recognise that some things are pure, that something can get into something and make it impure. With Jesus, he is pure. He's good, completely good. Nothing has defiled him. How else is Jesus personally qualified for the job? It says in verse 26, he's set apart from sinners. This illustrates part of the reason why he's pure and undefiled. Blameless, that he doesn't, he's not there with the sinners. He's set apart from them. And then we see that he's also exalted above the heavens, that he's been exalted to this point where he's above all of creation, that he's above the humans of this planet, the animals of this planet, the planets themselves, the stars. He's above even the angels, as Hebrews is very clear to make um, the point in the early chapters of Hebrews. Jesus is above all the heavens. He's above everything. And then we see down in verse 28 that Jesus is also someone who has been made perfect forever. The last few words of Hebrews chapter 7. Who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is holy. He's blameless. He's pure. He's set apart from sinners. He's exalted above the heavens. He's perfect. Is he qualified for the job of high priest? Well, yes, he's pretty much qualified for any job you might want to give him. If you're an employer and you were looking at someone's resume that had been handed in to you, 
And they were able to prove that they were holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens and perfect forever. I think you'd be choosing that person for the job. And so as we look at Jesus saying the Levitical high priesthood has been surpassed by me, then we'd have to say, well, personal qualifications easily say that Jesus is the one who should be high priest. But that's not all that is given to us in Hebrews chapter 7 about Jesus' qualifications for the high priesthood. We can't fault him for his character, but what else can we see? Well, that brings me to my second main point. If you want to follow my main points, by the way, they're listed on the back of the church bulletin. My second main point, though, is Jesus is ready to work for others in the high priest role. Jesus is ready to work for others in the high priest role. Uh, When someone is working for you, you're interested in how quickly they can begin work, particularly work each day. Because, of course, some people have to warm up to the day, don't they? They have to They get to work, they get a coffee, they get the paper, maybe open their email, maybe open Facebook just to see what's sort of happened overnight. Because, of course, you wouldn't want to be going through the day and some terrible event has happened worldwide and you're ignorant of the fact. It takes you a little bit of time to get going. And this is, of course, what we looked at with Joshua when we were employing him to work in our house is how quickly does he respond to a call to work. And I must say I'm very impressed. He will put down any sort of gaming device he is doing, a book he is reading, a TV show he is watching. Uh, He is happy to jump at the workload that is there. He will happily come over. I think the monetary value uh, has something to do with it, but he actually keeps that in mind. And, uh, and he is quick to do the work. So the question is, then, when we come to looking at is Jesus qualified for the high priest role, how quickly does Jesus get to work? How ready is he? And the answer is very ready from this passage that we're looking at today. Priests are supposed to work by taking care of sin on behalf of others. And if you're a Levitical priest and you come to that job and you've got a offer a sacrifice for someone else for their sin, what you would have to do first of all is offer a sacrifice for your own sin. And we read that in verse 27. Unlike the other priests, he, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. You had to come, if you were a Levitical priest, and offer a sacrifice for your sin. Why? Because you are a sinner. And so before you could start interceding before, other, uh, before God on the behalf of other people, you had to atone for your own sin. You had to offer a sacrifice and then get blood and put it on yourself to make yourself clean before you could then presume to be an intermediary between God and other sinners. So, of course, a high priest rocks up to work and he's got some work to do on his own self first before he can get to work for others. Whereas Jesus, does he have to do that? No. We see that in verse 27. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus, as we saw in verse 26, is holy, is blameless, is pure, is set apart from sinners, is exalted above the heavens and has been made perfect forever. 
So does Jesus need to offer a sacrifice for his sins before offering a sacrifice for other people's sins? No. He is pure. He has no sin. He is without sin. And so he does not need to offer a sacrifice for his sins before getting to work on other people's sins. And so we can see that Jesus is highly qualified for the job, even after we've just considered these two points, for the job of high priest, because he is personally has those attributes, character qualities that you would love to see in an employee, and then he is someone that gets to work each morning without having to take care of his own needs, like we often do with caffeine. We need to take the care of our own needs before we start taking the care of the needs of others. Jesus doesn't do that. But how else is Jesus qualified for the job of high priest, more so than the Levitical priests? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Jesus is productive in the high priest role. Jesus is productive in the high priest role. One of the keys to productivity, if you want to be a productive person, is to take tasks that you have to do again and again and somehow remove those tasks from your task list. And that can be through automating it, through doing it properly so that you don't have to keep coming back to it, or you can, of course, delegate it to somebody else, which is something that I like to do. I like to particularly automate by getting a computer to do it, get a machine to help you, or to get somebody else to do that task for you so that you don't have to worry about it anymore. So the question we have to ask, okay, in the high priest role, did they have to do something repetitively again and again? That sacrifice that they made, was it a repetitive sacrifice that had to be made? And that's what we read is the case in verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, he did not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. The other high priests had to offer sacrifices day after day. They had to keep on making sacrifices again and again, which, of course, reduces your ability to be productive, doesn't it? If you're having to do the same thing again and again and again and again. What about with Jesus as high priest? How productive is he? Well, it tells us, verse 27, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Once for all. When Jesus takes on the task of offering sacrifice for sins, he does it and it's done. He does it so well that no other sacrifice has to be made subsequent to his sacrifice. How could Jesus get away with such a task? Was because he offered himself. That's what it says there. He offered himself. He's the pure one, the blameless one. He is a human and he is God himself, which means his sacrifice is far superior to any other sacrifice that has been made by high priests in the past and would be made by high priests in the future. The high priest continued to offer animals in the place of humans. So, of course, they had to do it again and again because the sin that we commit is so grievous that an animal cannot take, wash that sin away. But Jesus, by offering himself, is able to offer a sacrifice that takes care of it once and for all, for many people. He does that sacrifice and then it is over. 
So Jesus is very much qualified for the high priest role, far better than the Levitical priesthood, even after we've just seen these points. We've seen that he's personally flawless. We've seen that he can start work immediately. He doesn't have to sort himself out first. And we've seen that he does things once and for all. And that's the kind of employer you want. Someone who comes in, does the job, and then it's over. But is there anything else that tells us that Jesus is qualified to be high priest? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. Jesus is appointed by an oath for the high priest role. Jesus is appointed by an oath for the high priest role. When you are appointed to a particular job is actually important. Who is employed if two people have a position at a at a job, the same position, but there's two people there. Well, it has to be the person that was employed last, isn't it? The first person has to be dismissed. We always recognise that the first person's there and then if somebody else comes along and they, the company says to the next person, you now have that role, then, of course, the first person is like, yeah, well, I guess I'm out of a job. And, of course, a company should tell the person a lot better than that, that they just, just put someone in your desk one Monday morning, you show up, there's somebody else there, and they say, yeah, yeah, I've got, this is my job. The company should uh, be kind enough to tell you uh, that you're on the way out and that somebody else is taking it on. But we recognise that time is a factor as to who has a particular job. And so if I say Pippa now sets the table... Well, Joshua, I'm sorry, you were setting it before, but Pippa's the one doing it now. And so when we look at the Levitical priesthood and we look at Jesus as high priest, we've got to ask, okay, so when and how were these guys appointed? How were the Levitical priests appointed? And how was Jesus appointed as high priest? And we see that the Levitical priests were appointed by the law. And that is there in verse 28 as well. It says, For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. So with the giving of the law, in Exodus 28, verse 1, we read that God says to Moses, Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites along with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. That was the law given in Exodus, and it appointed the Levites as priests, particularly Aaron as high priest. And then we saw, uh, we see in Exodus that Aaron dies and it goes on to his son, another Levite, as high priest. Question is, when was Jesus appointed to the role of high priest? Well, he was appointed by an oath in Psalm 110. And we see that in verse 28 as well. It says, For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. And we've looked at this oath in great detail, but it basically comes from Psalm 110. And it has been repeated again and again in Hebrews 7. And you can see it just uh, back in verse seven, uh, 17. It is quoted for you again. It says, For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if you go back uh, to Psalm 110, you can see that there. Uh, it's also quoted there in verse 21. He became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So God appointed the Levitical priests with the law back in Exodus 28. And then in Psalm 110, he appointed with an oath Jesus as high priest. Now the question is, which one came first? Verse 28 tells us, For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath 
which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Psalm 110 comes hundreds of years after the law was given. And so this oath that comes is superior to the law, and we've looked at why oaths in general are superior to the law back in earlier verses in chapter 7 as well. But we see here that a distinction is made about the law and the oath in terms of time. And so the Levitical priests, yes, you had the job before. But now God has spoken again, and he's appointed somebody else to the task, and that is Jesus, the Messiah. He now is high priest, and he is high priest forever. So when we look at the qualifications for Jesus as high priest, we look at his character, we look at how ready he is to start work, we look at how well he does the job, but then we also look at the employer and when they have appointed the two different people for the office. And of course we have to say, well, the employer, God, who appoints the high priest, has appointed Jesus after he appointed the Levites. And so the Levites have to bow out. They have to recognise that God has chosen somebody else to be high priest from now on. So we've seen a number of reasons why Jesus is qualified to be high priest in comparison to the Levites. Is there another reason? Well, there's one more in the text, and that's my fifth main point this morning. Jesus is a son in the high priest role. Jesus is a son in the high priest role. Now, we all know that when it comes to employment, it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And so many people are part of large corporations and they can be very high up, have executive offices, and yet why are they in those positions? It's because dad is CEO. And if dad wants his son to have the job, then his son gets the job. His son might be very much qualified for the job, might also not be very qualified for the job, but if the father of the company says, my son has this position, then you can't argue with that. Well, you can, but then you may not have a position in the company. And when we look at the comparison of the Levites as high priests and Jesus as high priest and who appoints them, who's, which is God, and then we look at the relationship between God and the Levites and God and the son... Jesus, we've got to say, well, I think Jesus is going to get this job. He's qualified for it in a way that none of the Levites could pull off. And we see that's the point that's made in verse 28. For the law appoints high priests as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Who is qualified for the role of high, of high priest? Well, it's got to be the son. If the son is available for the job, can do the job, then of course God the Father is going to give the job to the son. Just like in my household, I didn't ask some random kid off the street to come and set my table and take my trash out and pay him $2 a week. Some kids in the community might be interested in that kind of wage, but uh shows how desperate they are. But... I don't just take any random kid. My son is doing that job for me because he is my son. 
So why is Jesus doing the role of high priest? Well, one of the reasons is he's the son of God. And so he is qualified for that job in a way that nobody else can say they are qualified for that role. So we see Jesus is clearly better qualified for the role of high priest than the Levites. He is personally flawless. He starts work immediately. He's ready. He doesn't have to deal with his own sins first. He does things once and for all. He's appointed last by an oath, and he's the son of the kingdom. He's the son of God. He's the son of the king. Thus, Jesus is qualified to meet our needs as high priest better than anyone else. And that's the point of verse 26. Why do we have all these qualifications there? Because of what it says at the beginning of verse 26. What does it say? Such a high priest meets our need. He meets our need. Why are we bothering going through Jesus' qualifications for high priest? Why don't we just go out for a nice brunch, Sunday brunch instead? Why are we wasting time here in church? Is it a waste of our time to look at whether Jesus should be our high priest or not? Because we have a need. We have a sin problem. We have a death problem. We have an impending punishment from God problem that needs to be addressed. And God has said the way it is addressed is by my high priest. And then we've got two options in the scriptures as to who can be our high priest. We can have Levitical high priests or we can have Jesus as our high priest. And so we've got to make a choice. Are we going to be good Jews and follow Judaism and not recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Or are we going to see that to be a good Jew really means that you recognize that Jesus is the one who all the Jews in the past were pointing to? The sacrifices that were made, the, the, the high priest role, Abraham, the patriarch, they all point to Christ. And so we should not settle for the Levites as our high priest. No, because Jesus is so much more superior to them and he is the one that has been designated by God by oath to be high priest forever. And so if you're here this morning and you recognize that you have a sin problem, you recognize that you have a death problem, and you recognize that you have a punishment impending on your sin problem, then I can't encourage you strongly enough to go to Jesus as your high priest because he gets the job done. He sacrifices a sacrifice once for all, himself, a perfect sacrifice. And he is able to deal with your sin, deal with your death, and deal with your punishment properly, unlike any other high priest. So who is your high priest? Do you have somebody else in mind? Do you have yourself in mind to be the intermediary between you and God? Well, you're not the son of God in the way Jesus is the son of God. You still have to worry about your own sin before you can come before God. You can't do it. You're not qualified the way Jesus is qualified. The Levites aren't qualified and you're not qualified either. You have less grounds for qualification for high priesthood than the Levites did or anybody else that says they can come between you and God. 
the priests of the Roman Catholic Church with their offering that they make. They, they, they believe that when you come to the Holy Mass together, they're actually offering the body and blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf, that they're making a physical sacrifice there for you. And they are being the intermediary between you and God and they encourage you to go to saints to be the intermediary between you and God. Don't do it. Don't accept such humans. Accept the Son as your intermediary between you and God because he is the one that is qualified beyond anybody else and he is the one that has been appointed by God to be high priest so that you can be saved. And so if you want Jesus as your high priest, if he is not your high priest right now, repent of your sins, turn away from them and trust that Jesus Christ offered himself for your sins. And if you do that, then your sin problem is dealt with. You have no fear of sin. You have no fear of death. Death is just a doorway by which you enter eternal life. And you have no fear of punishment for sin because you go to heaven, you go to paradise to be with Jesus forever. I encourage you to do that. Trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you are a Christian, continue to hold on to Jesus as your high priest. Don't let go. Fix your eyes upon Jesus because he is the one who takes away our sin once and for all. Let us speak with our God now and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what your word reveals about your Son, that he is holy, he is blameless, he is pure, he's set apart from sinners, he's exalted above the heavens, and he's been made perfect forever. Lord, we thank you for the way that your word proclaims that he is far better qualified to be our high priest than anyone else. So, Lord, we pray that we may come to you in repentance and faith. May we trust that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins once and for all, that we do not have to make any sort of payment for our sins, that we do not need anyone else to make any sort of payment for our sins because Jesus has done it for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we may have great joy in this and be able to proclaim this truth to others so that they too can have Jesus as their high priest. And we pray this in his name. Amen.